0: First and foremost, I want to thank uh, all of the folks at uh, Walking Lab for inviting me to participate in this walk, uh, in this walking tour. Uh, the talk that uh, pop-up talk that I'm giving is titled "Eulogy for a Village: Gentrification and the Disappearance of Queer Sexual Geographies," and that title may, in some ways, be misleading. It's more so around thinking about just the ways in which. The homonormative turn in terms of queer politics has kind of provided a set of contradictory kind of relationships with capital that some of the people that are in my life or that I'm supposed to understand as kin don't seem to get. And so this comf- uh, so this talk con- uh, considers the rise of gentrification in the Church Wellesley Village specifically which was once understood as a necessary site to ensure an autonomous LGBTQ community. But with rising uh, rental costs that have facilitated the displacements of uh, persons and historical establishments, we see that obviously this is not working in their interest. And so when I think about this as a eulogy, I think about uh, the, uh, the very vibrant sexual culture that would exist here, there, anywhere, that they aspired to at that time. Whether we speak whether we're speaking of bathhouses, nightclubs, or one's favorite watering hole, these sites of pleasure are increasingly lost amidst a rising condo boom. Thus this talk is framed specifically as a eulogy because I can already name at least like three or four clubs that used to exist around here that were not necessarily dubbed as like gay clubs, but were nonetheless uh, spaces where specifically black queer folks would party. And so, and again, you'll have to forgive me. I'm a denizen of the night, not the day. So one of the things that I had ruminated about as I was thinking about this talk, is that I'm struck by the location of where we began this tour. In particular, 200 Bay Street, which is the very site of Lloyds Bank headquarters. In the past week since my invitation to offer this pop-up, I've been ruminating on the work of a poet, novelist, and scholar Dion Brand's profound ability to illustrate the beautiful and violent landscapes of this city that we call Toronto. I recalled many times a brief but poignant observation I want to say it's from the short story Train to Montreal, wherein the protagonist, upon witnessing the presence of the Lloyds Bank uh, Canadian headquarters, remarks weren't they instrumental in the financing of the transatlantic slave trade? And so I, hold, and I know now why I'm holding that intention with what proceeds in this pop-up talk. Uh, Precisely that my ambivalence around the ways in which queer politics as a black queer man comes to form is precisely that I've never understood why anyone would want to necessarily partnership with banks. In tandem, I also ruminated on the reality that the political priorities of my circle of friends, not exclusively black, men, uh, black gay men, But over the last 30 years since I came out, near 30 years, near 30 years, I'm like overaging myself, sorry. The ways in which our work paths and what we commit our lives to oftentimes differ radically. Many are doing work within uh, social services, myself. I'm an academic. uh, But then I have one friend who I've known since university who every year I receive an invitation to the Out on Bay Street conference uh, through a Facebook invitation. And I'm just like, okay, you do remember who I was in undergrad. Like, as I was cultivating my own sense of self and how I understood my relationship to what we would call like my gay identity, my politics clearly differ and don't align with something called Out on Bay Street, and I don't understand what it is that you think you're buying into. Each year, I am perplexed by this invitation. Thinking at best, I'm a scholar in the humanities, and I'm critical of capitalism, and my work is critical of a politics of respectability that has shaped the current trajectory of LGBTQ plus politics since the 1990s. We often dub this political position homonormative, but what exactly would you imagine my presence would do in this setting? Needless to say, because and those of you who are in the audience that know me, there's still a curious George kind of instinct to attend one, uh, attend one year in the future, if not just to be a fly in the wall. When I think about this as a eulogy, I also want us to think about the ways in which scholars have already kind of cautioned us from uh, from a long time that the structure of the geography that we might be mourning was already set up to fail. Historically, as has been evidenced by uh, critical geographer Catherine Jean Catherine Nash, gay male interests dominated early, uh, early lesbian and gay politics, such that gay male desires shaped the spatial uh, organization of Toronto's gay ghetto. Further, as Nash reminds us, through the extensive ar- archival research that they did, it was to presume that gay spaces were essential rather than detrimental to the formation of individual and collective gay and lesbian identities, and that the gay ghetto, and we need to kind of rethink what that means, would have to expand rather than disappear. And so we can think about this as kind of like a spatial politics or a particular kind of imperative. Nash's assessment assessment of the political imperatives that informed the spatial organization of Toronto's village are important for our purposes here. Noting that the political strategy of lesbian and gay politics of the 70s and 80s was to conceive of LGBT identities as comparable to ethnic minorities, Nash provides a context for how we might comprehend this current moment and the space that we reside in. I concur with Nash's assessment wholeheartedly, but would like to add that in this moment, this assessment also indexes the notion of community as catering to primarily white gay men as an ethnoclass. We are residing here at the site of a recent counter-protest led by the 519 Community Center and various affiliated grassroots organizations to limit the movement of a march by purportedly persecuted Christians that intended to march under the banner Christian Positive Space. We can debate what that means, and that will have to be after, because right now I'm still wrapping my head around that. Uh, But needless to say, the protest limited their encroachment. This moment illustrates that, whether real or imagined, the geography of the village did indeed expand, with new borders and its territory has been remapped. But we need to think about how it is that the logic of borders, territory, are being deployed here. This counter-protest followed a similar protest enacted upon the recent opening of Chick-fil-A earlier last month at its first Canadian location at Young and Bloor earlier in September. Assumed as queer territory... The process of drawing the borderlines to suggest that the arrival of Chick-fil-A is not welcome in my community is indicative of how queer politics are invested in asserting both power as consumer citizens, but also the manner in which the geography of the village was imagined as a space that was easily claimed and expanded. I'm equally struck by the assumption that the heated political response would be cultivated, uh, that would be cultivated by various LGBT activists, in particular, that having financial consumer power should determine the, pro- the protest and the boycott of this business. And you can hate me after or not, Chick-fil-A is not a necessary or an essential service. The Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott that lasted from 1955 to 1956 during the earlier stages of the civil rights movement was a mode of protest to shut down an economy that profited in the transit of black people that were not seen as full citizens. My revolution does not involve chicken sandwiches. If we were to walk north of Church Street, I would lament on the various bases that are no longer in existence. I call names. The Red Spark. The barn, zippers, fly, each of which in their own different way were there and gone due to increasing rental prices or the seduction of selling prime real estate. With the increasing condofication of Toronto more broadly and within and on the cont- contours of what we imagine as the village, increasingly we become aware of the last dance of my favorite joints, In each moment, loyal patrons would relish in very differing ways the very last moment when they can encounter that space. Spaces like zippers that once invited the democratic sociality of queer men, women uh, allies of various stripes, leather daddies, twinks, drag queens. HIV pause folks and fierce black queens that needed to hear the anthems anthems that inspired perseverance and survival and a space of solace on a Sunday night. 80s new wave, soul, and disco, all in the mix, would reverberate in this space, connecting individuals uh, individuals to commune, to form a democratic kind of sociality that suspended the distinctions of race and class and age among gay men and their allies when I encounter the space where Zippers once resided at church in Carlton I see the construction, uh, construction site of yet another new condo project as a site of spatial violence the demolition of and refusal of the queer conviviality in the community that this space offered I mourn then and still mourn as I travel a path in this village. As this talk concludes, I invite you to dance before we make our way forward to the next destination as we commune with the iconic track I Feel Loved by Donna Summer because the spatial violence enacted by the gentrification of particular queer geographies is not matched by the continual resistance of the entrepreneurs that grapple with the increasing challenges that create spaces for black, indigenous, and queer people of color. The power of love, no price on that. Infuse it as we sit here and as we walk together. Thank you. No, we're still doing the dance. I I wasn't kidding about that. (laughs) Oh, come on, I can't be the only one.